Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. This is the Week in Review. We talk about hacks, Ripple co-founder, Bitcoin's bullish momentum, and the EU. And that's today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everybody. Today is Friday, April Fool's Day, 2022. Yeah, I hate this day. Look, here's the thing is I pay attention to the news for a lot of different issues. If it's not crypto, it's politics, it's local, it's national, and so on and so forth. And there's some things I'm really, really looking at the news for that really makes an impact on things that I'm doing day to day. And for some reason, every reporter that I'm following is just grifting, just April Fool's joking on the things that I care about. And so it's taking me all day to go through two, three, four, five, six clicks to try to figure out, is this an April Fool's joke? Or if it's actual real news. And boy, it's pissing me off today. Maybe I just clock out. I tune it off. Today's just a freebie. Just don't open the phone. Don't open Twitter. Don't open Facebook. Don't open any news agency, source, whatever. Just chill today. Maybe that's what I got to do. But before then, we have to open those crypto prices. And I promise you, I will not April Fool's you when it comes to the prices. Let's get into it. Here comes the money. Here we go. And I'm recording this at 11.50 a.m. Eastern, Daylight Savings Time, and I'm running behind today. Bitcoin is sitting at $46,500, pretty much even in 24, up 5% in 7. Ethereum's at $3,430, up 1.9% in 24, up 10% in 7. Tether's number 3, Binance Coin is at 441, up 1.5% in 24, and 7% in 7. And USDC is number 5, running off the top 10. We have Solana up 6% in 24, or 33% in 7 at 132. XRP, Cardano, Terra Luna, and Avalanche. We have total market cap of 2.13 trillion, a BTC dominance of 41.3, and an F dominance of 19.3. And no coin of the day on Friday, you know that. So without further ado, let's get into this week in review with writer from Decrypt, Jeff Benson. Jeff Benson, how are you doing? Welcome to the show, sir. Good, Matthew. How about yourself? Excellent, excellent. Look, I want to just uh, admit something to you uh, really quick. Um, is that Please, I can tell af- after I don't know a year, year and a half, two years of reading um, people's articles and decrypt, I know when you're writing because you have this American sarcasm wit when you write. You love to be just like jokey, oh. and it, it's very unique. Do you know when I'm editing too? Because sometimes I sneak that into other people's pieces. I, I don't know when you're editing. I don't know when you're editing. I, if, I'm going to take a look for that now because sometimes I feel that some people are writing out, outside of their norm. And I'm like, that's interesting. Uh, but 
Hey, I just wanted to let you know, man. You you definitely have a unique style, and uh, I, I appreciate. I have it. a voice. I have you, a voice, Matthew, and I, and I will use it. Yeah. <laughs> and you do it well. Today we're talking about in our weekend review. We're gonna be talking about some hacks. We're talking about uh, Ripple's co-founder, some bullish movement movement in Bitcoin, and of course EU and legislation coming out. Let's start with hacks this week, sir. This week we saw one of the big. Actually, I think it's the biggest hack in uh, crypto history. Can you tell us a little about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on which metric you're using to, to determine whether or not it's the biggest hack or the second biggest hack, but it, it's pretty big. Um, so essentially uh, what happened is Axie Infinity uses, uh, it's, it's a play to earn game. It uses a side chain of its own making called Ronin. That, that helps kind of cut down on the transaction costs so that, you know, you're not spending, you know, 200 bucks every time you need to need to do something on the game for running through Ethereum. It was someone got a got a hold of the private keys. I think it was maybe a, a nine a nine person multi sig, so they were able to get get a hold of a lot of data and um, started porting porting those assets over. No one was really paying attention, but it ended up being at the time of the theft somewhere in the range of five twenty five hundred fifty million dollars worth of Ether and USDC stablecoin or wrapped Ether, I should say. And then by the time they discovered it, it was up to 620 something million. So absolutely, absolutely huge, huge theft. And it's it's already had a few knock-on effects. Uh, one of which is that uh, Axie was kind of prepping this Ethereum launch for this week. They've delayed that um, so they can kind of get a, get a hold on what's going on. You know, it was interesting about this. Uh, really quick, I just want to go back and say, okay, with that money, how much F is that? A wrapped F is that? That's uh, seven hundred. I'm sorry, that's one hundred seventy-three thousand six hundred wrapped F, or about twenty-five point five million dollar USDC uh, stable coins to you know uh, equate for all that money that was drained from this this Ronin bridge. And you know what I thought was really interesting is that we didn't see the price of Axie or Ethereum really fluctuate through this whole thing. It's like they, the the whole space said, oh, 620 plus million dollars is gone and we're not going to even react to it. I mean, I guess it gives you some indication of the of, of the growth of the crypto ecosystem, uh, for better or worse, right? The, the what, what do you mean that, growth? Do you mean that, that, that 625 million is just a drop in the bucket or that we're just so calloused from hacks and these kind of crazy behavior that we're just like, ah, it happens. I mean, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? When you're looking at a market cap, a crypto economy that's worth over $2 trillion, not that, you know, this is a drop in the bucket, but, you know, I, I'd say a couple of years ago, there, there'd be no moving past this. But but now we're kind of regularly seeing bridges, smart contracts uh, get exploited, assets being stolen. Uh, and I think people are a little bit immune to it the same way they might be to say, um, like a data theft at, at, at Target or or wherever. There's kind of almost an expectation that this might happen. I, I want to just ask you about this because I know the listeners always hear my voice. And I think that this is just egregious behavior. This is neg negligence at its finest in the crypto space. We've seen this happen so many times that there's no, I guess, protection or security or insurance or some kind of, I don't know, backup system for this, even though we know that this is a possibility and that nobody's implementing this is just, I don't know. I, I think that this is just honestly criminal neglect at this point. Do you agree? Or do you think that I'm just just going crazy crypto bro over here on, on a podcast? Are you, are you talking about regulation, Matthew? 
<laughs> I'm, talking to, I'm talking about self-governance and regulation in the, in the crypto space. Why are they not uh, putting these measures in place or holding these people accountable when they come with these bridges and side chains? I mean, the the yeah, it's a great question. I, I mean, I think the argument to be made is that like a, a, a de- decentralized system, decentralized markets will will work just fine over the long run as consumers start to pay attention and be like, oh, you know, this over here has a really good reputation. It's never, you know, it's never been hacked. Why don't we start using this sort of thing? So people will start to self-select based upon based upon these things. You just kind of let let mistakes happen. Uh, and I think Hester Peirce, you know, speaking to, you know, another issue that we might be talking about later, this week was talking about certain regulations in terms of liquidity. And she was saying, just let the markets function because consumers you know, it's good for things to fail sometimes because it helps make the overall system stronger as people are like, oh, we need best practices in place. We need to do this instead of that. You know, we saw this with the lack, one of these last hacks, and I can't remember which one it was. Was it the Polygon sidechain where there was a massive hack? And don't, correct me with this. And then it was just flooded by new capital to make sure that everything was made whole. Uh, so it was like the hack happened, but then they flooded it with new capital to make sure that they had liquidity in their pool. Do you remember that? That wasn't, I, I don't think that that was the Polygon hack, but I do know exactly what you're talking about. And if you give me five seconds, I can figure out who that was. Uh, that was the wormhole, uh, the wormhole attack. So Jump yes. Trading Group essentially jumped in and they replenished, uh, you know, the, the coffers with like $320 million worth of Ethereum. Uh, and that was just back in February. So, you know, they had kind of, I, I think they kind of had an investment in, uh, in Wormhole. And so they really needed to, they really needed to make that work. And so they said, yeah, let's just put the money back in. So going back to the statement with Hester Pierce, some things have to fail. It seems as though if we're not holding accountable, if we seem as though as we keep bailing out this, that was a bailout of irresponsibility when it comes to either coding or negligence or, or I, don't, I don't know what it was. You have to, somebody's going to have to tell me the backstory of that because I can't remember. Um, with, with this, like just the whole crypto space is kind of like ignoring that it happened. We know that it happened, but nef- there was no consequences when it comes to price. Actually just said, oh, we'll hold off a little bit. Sorry about the $600 million. Uh, that goes to you know, back to Hester Pierce saying that things are going to have to fail. We can't have like this, you know, support for them to, or else they're going to keep irresponsibility. This seems as though we have a, I guess, a crypto centric bailout system that we keep implementing when this happens. Uh, I mean, a little bit, but, but maybe also look at it this way. We're still relatively young in this space, right? Like how many different play to earn games can you name besides Axie Infinity? You know, how many different NFT games do you know, right? So this sort of thing gives a little bit of room for competition to flourish, for people to say, you know what, we have an idea that does this and we think that we can do it better. The free market view is like, hey, this gives an, it gives an opening to competitors to, to come in, show what they can do. And as the space evolves and grow, grows bigger, this sort of thing will cause somebody to fail or if not fail, it, it will harm them. Okay, so I'm going to go direct my crypto rage somewhere else right now. And I'm going to okay. move down to um, Ripple's co-founder calling for proof of stake um, for Bitcoin instead of proof of work. And the details behind this is apparently there is this uh, group, it's called um, like several environmental groups. It's a, a a campaign called Change Bitcoin Code. And this whole like campaign is for with Greenpeace, like change, environment. Change the code, not, not the climate. 
something yes, like change that. the code, not the climate. Uh, it has Greenpeace, Environmental Working Group, and so on and so forth. And they want to change Bitcoin from proof of work to proof of stake. And they're going to be running ads in places such as the New York Times, Political, the Wall Street Journal, to try to, I guess, create the narrative of how proof of work, Bitcoin mining uh, is bad, and try to change the public perception of this, or at least create a public perception about this, to force the hand to kind of either change Bitcoin code or ban proof of work mining in the United States. Um, Am I am I spot on with this? And how do you feel about this? I mean, good luck. Uh, it's not it's not going to happen. <laughs> and and kind of the way they're going about it, the technical challenges and the coordination challenges involved with that, you know, it would be easier just to create a whole new currency, call it Bitcoin POS. It comes to, you know, these different things. When we're talking about proof of work, proof of stake. We can admit that proof of work uses a lot of energy, but that is what creates the security. When you're talking about the miners, the decentralization, the incentives, I think, and I'm looking at this as a... Is just how transparent certain, I guess, ideological campaigns are out there just to create public perception and, and how, how just how just, I guess, brazen it is that we're putting it out there and, and we're just like just taking it as day to day. Like the hack, we just spoke about the hack, $600 million, just poof, gone in somebody's wallet somewhere, probably getting mixed somewhere in some tornado <laughs> F mixer and somebody's going to be sitting on a beach rich. And we're just like, eh. and then we're saying like, oh, yeah, you're going to trying to use propaganda for the most part. Uh, propaganda it could go on both sides to try to create a narrative and we're just like eh. and we see it in facebook eh. we see it in the news eh. we see it in you know we just see it all over the place we're just like eh. this is what, what happens you know and i think that this this is like a I, I i don't know how to really explain it but it it's kind of sad that we just let all of this wash over us all the time without any kind of reaction well, I mean, I think I, I don't think that Larson is disingenuous. I think I, I think there's a lot of people that gener- that, that genuinely think that you know Bitcoin is purposely not efficient. It does use a lot of environmental resources. So why don't we just move to proof of stake? Um, that's certainly the way that Ethereum is going. Ethereum is moving towards proof of stake because one, it can make it, it can help it scale better. And two, it has a lower kind of carbon and environmental footprint. Um, so I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But the the things that that um, Larson is pointing out that could be improved about Bitcoin are exactly the same sort of things that people love about Bitcoin. Uh, and, and that's why it's not going to change. One thing people love about crypto and Bitcoin in general is, you know, controlling their private keys, having wallets that are just like, it's kind of like putting $100 below your mattress and just saving it for a rainy day or or stuffing a couple hundred bucks in a sock in your in your top drawer, saving it for a, a rating day, and that's called an unhosted wallet or self custody. And the EU is trying to make it so that you can't do this anymore. And I think that was a big story this week. Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, they're they're not making it so that you can't uh, put stuff into a into a self hosted wallet. What they're doing is that is that they're mandating that crypto exchanges or other sort of crypto service providers, say custodians. Every time those service providers have an interaction with with somebody's private wallet, they need to collect information and report that information um, to regulators when that amount is, I think, above 1,000 euro. So, uh, you know, if you are somebody who is uh, moving, moving funds from an exchange wallet, maybe on Binance or whatever, to your own wallet so that you can do whatever you know you want to go you want to go you know trade on uh, trade on a, a decentralized exchange or you want to like put it onto a lending protocol whatever 
anytime that amount is over a thousand euro, the exchange is obligated to report that amount to regulators. Or even HODL. We think that we're always going to be doing something with the crypto, but it's also moving from an exchange to a wallet, just a HODL that's going to get reported. Yeah. And I don't know the specific details on this. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes the way people do do this is that they will just move, you know, 999 euro at a time or whatever per, you know, per day. Uh, usually there's sort of a, usually there's sort of a cap uh, on that. Um, or a kind of a time period within if, if it's a certain amount within a certain time period. The basic idea, I, you know, the reason behind it, it's not to be like, oh, we want to know what's going on with like your specific crypto, but it's it's essentially so that you couldn't theoretically accumulate enough uh, for, for money laundering uh, or kind of, uh, you know, terrorist financing purposes, which which would require large chunks of chunks of cash. You know, I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the different um, angles to look at this. And the, the first thing was like, yeah, I get it. You know, you, money laundering, corruption. You know, somebody brought this up. I was in an interview the other day, as uh, listeners know, I'm running for Congress. And somebody says, well, crypto is a great way to, you know, bribe candidates and nobody knows about it. You know, and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I didn't even think about having a wallet for a Bitcoin. So somebody could send me a Bitcoin or Ethereum uh, and bribe a political candidate. Didn't even think about it. So when you are living in a world when you have fiat currency in the in, in most places around the world, uh, you're going to want to take your cryptocurrency, turn to fiat so you can just do the things that you like to do, buy things, go on vacations, pay for things, whatever, you know, elevate your life, uh, especially if you're getting to come up. Um, so you're going to have that on the off ramp. So I, I, I get it. I do. I do understand it myself. Uh, also, the same thing I, I'm, I'm thinking is that. Is, is that. I'm wondering if when you're making these laws, or did the regulators actually talk to the stakeholders? Um, like, for example, Coinbase, Kraken, they both had you know comments on this and like this is really going to stifle innovation in, in, in this technology. Uh, so are these stakeholders being brought into the conversation and and talking to the regulators so that they can make a regulation that is, you know, beneficial for the whole space and the tech and the future of it in general? Have you heard anything about if the stakeholders are being part of this conversation? I mean, in the U.S., definitely that's happening. Uh, I am sadly not European affairs correspondent, so I have a much, much weaker understanding of what's going on in Europe. But in the U.S., that definitely is the case, where Coin Center and Blockchain Association have really good contacts uh, in legislature um, <clears throat> and in kind of the, the administration. Uh, and as does, you know, Coinbase, Kraken, all the big ones, um, they're really constantly, they spend a lot of money on these sort of policy efforts. So because one, they can afford to, and two, because they want to be able to kind of help steer the regulation that is coming in something that's favorable to them um, and, and favorable in general for, for, for the ecosystem at large. Uh, so you have to think that in Europe that is also taking place, but I do not know the ins and outs of the European Parliament um, and, and kind of uh, the players there. The other uh, thing I was thinking about with this whole is issue and situation was that there is such of like, I don't know if it's it's a dilemma. I'm going to call it a, a dilemma. And the dilemma is that if you're using this investment or say Bitcoin is the digital gold, uh, you are you want to be able to go to fiat. And so for so playing in the traditional finance rules, the rules of the road when it comes to regulations within a certain country makes sense. Yeah, you you have a wallet 
people should know where they're coming from, where the money's moving from. That makes total sense. But then it's also like, you know, in, in Bitcoin, you also want to go peer to peer and have that, you know, disconnection. So it's like, if somebody's arguing that they want to have that dis- disconnection, plus they also want to go to fiat, I think is a, like a, a, a weird position to have, because if you want to go peer to peer, and if you want to stay off the books, then stay off the books. Don't complain about going to fiat then. And then all of, if you want to be on the books and you're going to want to pay your taxes and, you, and you're all part of, you know, this whole thing, like let's move it to mainstream, then be on the books. But why I don't I sometimes I hear the two sides, like at least one of the sides wanting everything they wanting their cake and eating it, too, when it comes to this situation. I think that's unfair. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a it's a good point is that, you know, if you really if you really want to stay off the books, the good old fashioned way to get Bitcoin um, would be would be to mine it. I mean, that's that's how that's how people get Bitcoin. But, you know, I think most people these days, if they want more Bitcoin, they need to buy it on on an exchange and those exchanges are regulated. And so the off ramps to those exchanges are regulated. Uh, and, and that that's what makes it difficult, difficult for folks. But even if you're still just mining Bitcoin and then say, um, if you were to cash it out, then then you're also going to be paying taxes on on that as well. So um, there there are there it's hard to get away from reporting requirements and regulation. And with the general trend being that the big crypto players want some sort of regulation so they know what's happening, you're going to have to take some some of the good and some of the bad. And there's going to be winners and losers in that process. Speaking of winners and losers, last question, last discussion I want to have really quick is Bitcoin price. Bitcoin price has jumped <laughs> dramatically over the past uh, week or two. Um, there might be a couple of reasons for this. Things that I'm, I'm, I'm going to split ball over the top of my head. Michael Saylor making a buy of a, a $205 million or at least committing to making a buy of $205 million of Bitcoin. Anything else you see that could be motivating this price increase? I mean, you have Terra's making a big splash uh, with uh, with its... Uh with uh, buying a bunch of Bitcoin. Um, then you have just in general, price, prices going up just means that uh, a lot of times the longer term uh, holders are just, uh, they've just got diamond hands, man. They're just, they're just sticking around. You know, price go up, price go down. Uh, it, it's like this all the time and it moves in waves, but um, we just see this all the time with these sort of cycles where there's just a lot of uh, kind of, longer term holders, people that are just sticking with Bitcoin, it constricts the it constricts the supply. So demand goes up, price goes up. I also was thinking that, that the um, Fed coming out and actually locking in their uh, interest rate increases through the next uh, year to 18, 18 months gives a little more stability to the market. So we're going to see more people take be a little bit more risky, more risk on assets uh, like Bitcoin. Maybe that's why Tesla's rising as well as they we know what's happening there. Um, I mean, and, I, and I always I, I do. I always wonder about these sort of things because, you know, you can point to the Fed saying something about interest rates and going up and securities, equities. Uh, crypto ha- have gone down as a result. And, you know, then they'll say something else about interest rates going up. And <laughs> everything shoots up. And it kind of depends on where things are that day. We are, we're in a super crazy market. 100%. Right 
<laughs> and so, so I mean, I'd be hesitant to like point to any one thing or any group of things and be like, this is definitely behind it. But yeah, that, that could be a part of it that, that, uh, you know, people are feeling a little bit comfortable with risk assets at the moment for whatever reason, maybe they do feel they have that clarity from the fed and they know kind of what their strategy is moving forward as those, as interest rates go up. So long story short, why did Bitcoin go up? Reasons. Understood. Jeff Benson, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about this week in review. Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate being here. And I thank you for listening to this week of the Decrypt Daily, all episodes, especially our week in review. I'll be back tomorrow with our weekend update. And until then, happy hodling, everyone. <laughs>